welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, radio for Europe, radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Kazakhstan's relations with Russia have been strained in recent years by comments from Russian officials and public figures about some or all of Kazakhstan being historically Russian land. Those comments have been coming more frequently since Russia launched its war on Ukraine in late February. And Kazakhstan's government has said publicly several times it will not recognize the independence of the Russian-occupied Donetsk and Luhansk regions of eastern Ukraine. At the St. Petersburg Economic Forum on June 17th, Kazakh, Pre- Kazakh President Kasim Jamar Takayev repeated this position with Russian President Vladimir Putin sitting right next to him. In his remarks, Putin said the Kremlin regards all of the territory of the former Soviet Union as being historically Russian land. Clearly, there are problems in Kazakh-Russian relations, and to discuss all this, I am joined by Nargiz Kaseneva, originally from Kazakhstan, but currently a senior fellow and director of the Program on Central Asia at Harvard Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies. Wayne Courtney, a former U.S. ambassador to Kazakhstan and Georgia, who is currently an adjunct senior fellow at the RAND Corporation and executive director of the RAND Business Leaders Forum. Azamat Junispai, also originally from Kazakhstan, but currently a professor of sociology at Pitzer College in Claremont, California, whose work focuses on social social stratification, welfare state attitudes, and public opinion about political and economic inequality in post-Soviet Central Asia. Thank you all for joining me. Um, and Nargiz, I'm going to start with you, but I encourage all of you to jump in and follow up on any any point that's raised during these discussions. Um, Nargiz, I mentioned the roots of this seeming rift in Kazakh-Russian relations starting well before Russia's war on Ukraine. Could you walk us through some of the background of the problems in relations before February this year? Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. It's uh, it's great to be with you. Um, I don't think we have enough time to, you know, to walk through all the kind of the the, the the, hist- the historical background to all these uh, uh, current uh, current comments and reactions and all that, but uh, but indeed there are tensions. There have been tensions in uh, Kazakhstan-Russia relations, uh, and they date back to the to the early days of our independence. Uh, and um, well, we can recall uh, Solzhenitsyn's, for example, article in which he was uh, talking about uh, northern Kazakhstan as kind of historical, part of the historical uh, historical Russia. We remember kind of these tense negotiations between the Kazakh and uh, Russian authorities that was, you know, under, under Yeltsin uh, about the Cossacks uh, on, the, on the border and were, you know, kind of fears, uh, fears of that, of the uh, of the um, uh, potential neo-imperialism of uh, of Russia uh, using the Cossacks, using the minorities, uh, um, using Russian diaspora in in Kazakhstan. So uh, so that that has been with us for all these three decades. Um, kind of some some fears of uh, of Russian uh, neo-imperialism, a revival of Russian neo-imperialism, but. Uh, but they've been managed. Uh, they've been managed quite quite well, and uh, both sides were careful. Particularly, the Kazakh side has been has been quite uh, prudent. 
so it's it's nothing new but as you as you mentioned uh the uh, the kind of uh, with the change of the overall rhetoric in russia uh, and kind of uh, uh, emphasizing russian greatness and uh, with relations of with the west worsening this kind of uh, rhetoric got more heightened more frequent uh, and it's something that was definitely noticed uh, noticed in kazakhstan and was causing uh causing nervous nervous reaction but um i want to say that that uh, well uh, Takayev gave uh, gave quite quite a good response uh, to uh, to these uh, to these comments at the St. Petersburg forum and we see the kind of the, the reactions uh, uh, well the Maria Zakharova for example the speaker uh, the speaker of the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, she just said the other day that we respect Kazakhstan's position and uh, uh, well Russian Minister of Defense Shoigu I think yesterday he also said that oh Russia and Kazakhstan are the uh, kind of uh, strategic allies and uh, you know we we are cooperating so the they, they try to do also some damage control on the Russian side but but tensions are there obviously but it's, it, uh, just to follow up on that a little bit, it's quite a dramatic turn uh, in, in relations, considering that, you know, in, just in January, there was unrest in Kazakhstan. President Takayev asked for and received help from the Collective Security Treaty Organization. But we all know that that's a Russian-led organization anyway. And it's that that he would be in, uh, you know, Takayev and Kazakhstan would be embedded somehow to Russia. And then all of a sudden we... We find ourselves in a situation where Kazakhstan is not openly opposing Russia, but if you read between the lines, you can see that the Kazakh government is not very happy with the situation uh, that Russia has created in Ukraine and is not willing to blindly follow Moscow. But I think the Kazakhstan has been consistent. I think it was a uh, misinterpretation of what happened in January. Yeah, that Kazakhstan suddenly, you know, kind of really got into Russia's fold. You know, now, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a vessel and something, you know, kind of Belarus-like. So that's that's something that that's the opinion I posed back then in January, and I think we see that uh, that it's the case that uh, Kazakhstan had multi-vector foreign policy and it continues to have a multi-vector foreign policy. Ambassador Courtney, you're a veteran diplomat, and so is President Takayev, who served as Kazakhstan's foreign minister and also representative to the UN Geneva. Uh, there's a lot of ties that bind these two countries, one being the energy grid in the north, for example, which runs back and forth across the border between Kazakhstan and Russia. But but there's even more than that. Um, can you give us an idea of the, the kind of tightrope that President Takayev is walking at this moment? Well, Bruce, let's make a comparison between Ukraine and Kazakhstan. Uh, Ukraine has a sea outlet and land outlet to Europe, but Kazakhstan has nothing like that. Almost all the transportation and communication routes out of Kazakhstan traditionally have gone through Russia. Uh, there has been some diversification, of course, over the last 30 years of Kazakhstan's independence with China, with the West, uh, with Turkey. Uh, but Kazakhstan economically is still very dependent on having good relations with Russia so that railway transportation, for example, can be smooth across the area. The Chinese Belt and Road Initiative, part of that involves Chinese goods coming from uh, central western China through Kazakhstan, through Russia to reach uh, Europe. Uh, So Kazakhstan has a different uh, and more powerful incentive than, say, Ukraine to have close relations with Russia. And President Nazarbayev very skillfully 
managed that over the years. And uh, now, as we see with President Zakayev, he seems to be doing so as well. It's important to uh, underline Kazakhstan's independence and sovereignty, as President Zakayev uh, did in uh, St. Petersburg at Spief. Uh, but at the same time, as President Zakayev did, keep emphasizing ways to cooperate with Russia. What do you make of then of, of the, you know, we heard that the port in Novorossiysk, which of course is where you mentioned the, a lot of connections between Kazakhstan and Russia, but, but the Caspian Pipeline Consortium, of course, that's the big oil exporter for Kazakhstan. And that pipeline runs to the, the Russian port in Novorossiysk. And shortly after Takayev's comments, we, all of a sudden we hear that they can't use, they won't be able to use that port temporarily because of the discovery of more than 50 mines that were left over from World War II. Uh, this this port has, of course, been operating since 2001. Uh, and, and all of a sudden they find these more than 50, you know, naval mines in the water. Is Russia sending a message with this? Uh, uh, yes. So over the years, of course, Russia has temporarily controlled uh, energy activities with others, including most recently uh, reducing the volume of gas sent through Nord Stream 1 pipeline uh, to Europe. So this is a standard part of Russian practice. And it uh, angers uh, consumers of Russian uh, energy. It's likely to lead Russia to, to lose energy share over the long term in Europe to Russia's disadvantage. Well, this is the same kind of political interference, if you will, that uh, Russia has done elsewhere. So it is a strict uh, pokazuka. It's not a, a real uh, issue in terms of World War II landmines. Okay, uh, Azamat, we'll get to you now. Um, with all you've heard about that, you know, the, the Russian irredentist claims on Kazakh land that we've heard, and, and you know, the clear messages from the Kremlin that, that they're not uh, happy with President Takayev's statements last week in St. Petersburg, and more generally with, with Kazakhstan's posturing, uh, not in lack of support for Russia during the war. What do you hear from people that you know about Kazakhstan about all this? I mean, is this is a big topic of conversation, uh, you know, what they're saying in Russia and what they're doing to Kazakhstan? Uh, yes, the, there is definitely a response to this, right? So uh, Nargis mentioned that a few of the Russian officials gave very measured responses to President Okayev's statements in St. Petersburg, but there were also much more hostile comments that invariably get more attention in Kazakhstan, right? So Konstantin Zatulin is a Russian parliament deputy responsible for affairs of, of the CIS, essentially threatened Kazakhstan, saying that we, Russia, don't have territorial claims and disputes as long as we have friendly relations Otherwise, Kazakhstan could face measures uh, like Ukraine, right? And so comments like that, of course, get uh, a lot of response from people in that, I think, just like Ambassador Courtney right now said, Kazakhstan is very heavily dependent on Russia uh, economically, right? Because of the just the lay of the land, geography, and those are facts that we cannot do much about. Kazakhstan also demographically has this unique situation, right, where a lot of northern Kazakhstan has heavily Russian populations essentially bordering Russia, right? But despite all this, it's getting to be harder and harder, even for those who would like to see things as being okay. It's getting much harder to not notice or to look away from what 
increasingly looks like new imperial ambitions, right, on part of Russia, right? And it's sort of this unabashed, sort of not not afraid to show with kind of imperialism on part of Russia that I think a lot of Kazakhstan society, a lot of people in Kazakhstan are beginning to notice, right? Folks who probably were not thinking about this in their regular lives is just getting to be impossible to not notice this. Of course, events in Ukraine are making it very difficult to not notice this. I think very uh, interesting, fascinating event on uh, March 6th, there was a rally in Almaty in support of Ukraine and against the Russian aggression in Ukraine, right? And as everyone on this podcast knows, Kazakhstan does not really have a huge history of allowing rallies or mass gatherings. And this one was officially sanctioned, was uh, was allowed to go ahead, and it was really well attended. And people were able to express their opinions, express their protest, all kinds of creative signs. I personally know quite a few folks who participated. And again, it's the kind of awakening, perhaps, political awakening with regards to sort of Russia's ambitions and Russia's uh, posturing toward Kazakhstan that's happening in Kazakhstan society now. Perhaps we'll get to this later, but one thing I also have been thinking about recently is that of course, everyone talks about the power of Russian propaganda, right? Russian media and how it shapes hearts and minds. But it's important to think that demographically things are changing. Right now, Kazakhstan has about 17% Russian population and over 70% Kazakh population. This is dramatically different right, from what we had in the early 90s. And it's just that the reach of Russian propaganda, the reach of Russian TV, of course, is going to be limited to those who consume news and information in Russian. And in Kazakhstan, a growing number of people are going to have immunity against Russian propaganda because they are no longer consuming Russian news and information as the primary means. Right. Just because demographically the situation is changing. There are, of course, lots of Russian speaking Kazakhs like my own family. But there is a rapidly growing number of Kazakh speaking Kazakhs who are, I think, somewhat immune to Russian propaganda. And that's very important. Bruce, can I add? Yeah, please. Yes. Uh, OK. I, first, I wanted to add a bit of information on the CPC, like demining operation. Uh, it is reported that it started actually on the 16th of June. So it's on the eve of the St. Petersburg uh, summit, uh, which means it's not really a reaction to uh, what uh, Takayev uh, uh, said, but uh, but uh, there should be some linkage. We suspect that there is some you know, kind of linkage with how Rus- Russian-Kazakh relations are at the moment. And we can re- also re- recall the uh, the earlier accident there in Novorossiysk and also the interruption of uh, of the uh, kind of this transfer of oil, uh, which uh, so kind of raised a lot of suspicions in Kazakh society, like officially that that happened because of the storm and uh, the, the equipment was damaged. But, you know, whether that's the case or not, you know, the suspicions were there because there are these tensions, uh, tensions in the relations. And as Ambassador uh, Ambassador Courtney mentioned, there are these 
very kind of big, uh, big dependencies that we have on Russia, and that's the transit of oil. So most of our oil goes via Russia, and it can be interrupted, you know, under different uh, pretexts. Uh, clearly, uh, the our electricity system in the north is linked to the Russian electricity system. It's part of this Russian grid. Uh, the uh, well. Uh, and there are other, you know, economic facets, economic dependence facets, but also, the, the, you know, we are security allies. We have a security alliance with Russia. And uh, as Azamat mentioned, also in terms of uh, the kind of the Russian uh, influence on what people think, how they perceive things, you know, we are part of the Russian uh, information space. And only the other day, it was kind of uncovered by uh, by our journalists that the, the there are three Three domains that that uh, mirror uh, popular Kazakh domains that have been publishing Russian Russian propaganda, you know, sort of misleading uh, misleading the people and so on. So so all these things are going on. But I think uh, the uh, the situation is interesting because clearly Kazakhstan is weaker than Russia in this relationship. But I think there is a sense that Kazakhstan is on the right side of uh, history and on the right side of the kind of the overall global uh, global system, and uh, sort of Russia is digging itself in, you know. So, so it's a very very kind of interesting uh, interesting situation. Thank you. Okay, we've reached the midway point here, so I have to do a, a little promo spot. Uh, once again, um, let me recap the debate today on the Medjilis podcast. Uh, we're talking about Kazakh-Russian relations uh, and how they've been affected recently, but especially by Russia's war in Ukraine. Today, I'm joined by William Courtney, a former U.S. ambassador to Kazakhstan and Georgia, who is currently an adjunct senior fellow at the RAND Corporation and executive director of RAND Business Leaders Forum. Azamat Junisbay, also originally uh, from Kazakhstan, but currently a professor of sociology at Pitzer College in Claremont, California, whose work focuses on social stratification, welfare state attitudes, and public opinion about political and economic inequality in post-Soviet Central Asia. Nargis Gesenova, originally from Kazakhstan, but currently a senior fellow and director of the program on Central Asia at Harvard Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies. Again, I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjilis podcast and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Ambassador, how serious is this that you've been following Kazakh-Russian relations, obviously, for, for 30 years since Kazakhstan became independent? How serious is this on uh, give in comparison with any other strains you've seen in relations between the two countries? Well, we've seen a number of strains over the years, but none of them has amounted to anything close to the kind of strains between Moscow and Tbilisi or Moscow and Kiev. So, for example, in 2014, President Putin said that Kazakhstan really had uh, uh, never had statehood until President Nazarbayev uh, uh, helped uh, create it. And that uh, Kazakhstan, he said, should remain in the greater uh, Russian world, uh, which he said had developed industry and advanced uh, technology. The Kazakhstanis were quite offended uh, by that. And so the next year, President Nazarbayev hosted a 550th anniversary of the Kazakh Khanate and invited uh, leaders from uh, other situation uh, countries, uh, Turkey and, and elsewhere. Uh, so that was to emphasize that Kazakhstan was not just a dependent uh, or a dependency uh, throughout its uh, history. And President Nazarbayev was fundamentally correct uh, about that. So I don't believe this current 
this current situation is going to be too serious, in part because Russia is overextended now with its war in Ukraine and most recently its threats against Lithuania for uh, cutting off some rail transport between Russia and uh, the Kaliningrad uh, Oblast. Uh, so Russia has to be careful about not overextending itself. And uh, I think at the current time, Kazakhstan has a fair amount of room for maneuver, uh, while Russia's, I'm sorry, while Kazakhstan's multi-vector foreign policy uh, has been uh, sort of more tilted toward Russia, that's been the strongest vector. Now Kazakhstan will probably try to rebalance a little bit as Russia's getting weaker, maybe stronger ties with China, probably some stronger ties with Turkey and with with the West. Uh, with the West, it will be important that human rights issues uh, be improved in Kazakhstan if that uh, vector of Kazakhstan's foreign policy is to be improved. You know, there have been calls in the West for independent investigations of the uh, January uh, shootings, for example, by security forces and other things. Uh, there are continue there continue to be uh, political prisoners uh, locked up. Shambhalat Mamai uh, being one of them, but others as well. So the West, I think, is beginning to take a, a firmer stance on human rights, respect for human rights in Kazakhstan. Bruce, if I could add something to my response from before, uh, one clear pattern that I've seen in response to the war in Kazakhstan society was actually a renewed interest in the study or in learning and mastering Kazakh language by Kazakhs who are Russian speakers, right? So there are lots of urban Kazakhs who grew up speaking Russian, went to Russian schools, and honestly speaking from personal experience, uh, never even felt uneasy or embarrassed about not knowing Kazakh. It was just a fact of life. And now, just through social media, through personal contacts, I'm seeing more and more reports of people who would never, before you could imagine them trying to learn Kazakh or doing something about it, people uh, joining these Kazakh speaking clubs, right? People trying to, people feeling uneasy, uncomfortable with the fact that they only speak Russian or speak Russian and English, perhaps, right? And there is resurgence of interest in the study of Kazakh, again, among some Russians, actually, as well, uh, but also uh, Russian-speaking Kazakhs. And that is clearly in response to uh, Russia's aggression in Ukraine. And I also wanted to sort of agree with, uh, with what Ambassador Courtney said. I think that maybe the interesting dynamic now is that, yes, what happened in January, it was CSTO, not Russia, as President Tokayev correctly pointed out, but also, as you yourself said, we all know that CSTO is an organization that is very much Russian-led, and I think there was fairly widespread perception among at least some observers in uh, Kazakhstan that Tokayev was going to be in some debt to uh, Putin after this, right? Even though, of course, it would never be formally acknowledged. But because Russia now is overstretched and is in this horrible war right, against Ukraine, what debt, if any, Kazakhstan now has toward Russia? I think that dynamic becomes more complicated, right? Because position of Russia in the world, position of the Kremlin, now is just not what it was before February 24th, right? 
can, can I add to that, Bruce? Please. Yeah. Um, so uh, on the one hand, yes, of course, Russia is overstretched. And I also don't think that it can afford like really jeopardizing decent relations with uh, with Kazakhstan. Um, and it goes both ways. It will jeopardize our good relations with Russia either. But uh, uh, but it can still do some damage. You know, it can still kind of uh, create problems for Kazakhstan here and there. So and I think some of it we will we do see and some of it we will we will see more of that as well, because the relations are not, you know, kind of uh, they're not in a, they're not in a good shape. And I fully agree with Ambassador Courtney that uh, it is time for a kind of serious, good, uh, meaningful conversation between the West and Kazakhstan on human rights. And the, the, there is an opening uh, on the uh, on the Kazakh side because you know Takayev is uh, um, has initiated uh, political reforms. He talks about the importance of importance of human rights. He promised to uh, unveil um, a reform of the uh, of the police, uh, security sector, of the judiciary uh, in September. So. So the, the timing, the timing is good. I think the kind of the, the, there is an opening. Okay, great. Thank you. And that, you know, this is perfect because I was hoping to get a comment from all of you on uh, to follow up on the points that we've just been hearing about that hearing that, you know, for years, uh, out, countries outside the CIS, Western countries, for the most part, have been urging all of Central Asia, not just Kazakhstan, but to diverse uh, diversify its, its export import routes, uh, you know, make new connections. So it wasn't so dependent on. Uh, former Soviet states and Russia in particular. Now, we, we know that Kazakhstan and Russia have a 7,000-kilometer-long border, so there's no possible way of de- disconnecting, deconnecting from, from Russia. Um, but at the same time, given Russia's dilemma right now in Ukraine, you know there, there are projects that have been around for a while, the Asian Development Bank's Central Asia Regional Economic Cooperation Project for Connectivity, uh, Belt and Road, we heard mentioned, and this is another one. Is this? Is, do you see that this is kind of a watershed moment for Kazakhstan in some ways, where it finally accomplishes what so many people have been recommending and, and uh, is pushed to diversify not only its trade, import, export routes, but also its political connections, uh, its diplomatic ties to other countries at this moment? And, and and somehow, when when this kind of shakes out and it's all over, that Kazakhstan might actually be seen as more of a sovereign state. And less of a uh, being kind of in Russia's pocket, as, as some some people have hinted, um, and that would be the con- the outcome of this. I mean, can you talk about the the connections they're making and and um, how this could lead to a change in Kazakh-Russian relations in the future? And we'll start with Ambassador Courtney, please. Uh, Bruce, thanks. Uh, you are correct. Uh, so the rebalancing, which Kazakhstan is likely to undertake now uh, in its uh, multi-vector foreign policy uh, probably is something that should have occurred a little bit before. Uh, But to give you an example, Turkey. So after Kazakhstan became independent 30 years ago, uh, Turkey thought that uh, it could play a big brother role, maybe something like what Moscow had played before. But President Nazarbayev and other Central Asian leaders said uh, that they did not want to cast off one big brother and, and gain another. But now I think we see that Turkey has more opportunity, except that turmoil in Turkey, internal turmoil in Turkey, gives it less possibility to to reach out with an effective foreign policy 
uh, in Central Asia. Now, that may change in the future, but right now, that's uh, the current circumstance. So uh, for Kazakhstan, uh, reaching out uh, more to China is certainly a sensible approach. China has a lot of investment potential in Kazakhstan, but there is nervousness in Kazakhstan about you know Chinese uh, taking over agricultural areas, for example, or having too much influence uh, in Kazakhstan. There's a fair amount of suspicion. So that, too, is an issue. And then the West, of course, uh, would were like, has always strongly supported the sovereignty, independence, and territorial integrity of Kazakhstan. But the West is far away. And the West is now, of course, preoccupied with uh, the war in uh, Ukraine. So the West may not be able to be quite as helpful. And, of course, as I mentioned, the West is going to want Kazakhstan to improve its respect for human rights. So it is not so easy for Kazakhstan to do this rebalancing, but it is something that would be sensible. Nonetheless, from an economic standpoint, the Russian relationship has to be so important for Kazakhstan. A a challenge for Kazakhstan is that the Kremlin makes so many decisions that jeopardize Russia's economic interests, uh, as for example, the war in Kazakhstan, or the war in Ukraine, uh, which has led to Western sanctions, and those impose collateral damage on Kazakhstan. So not until the Kremlin gives higher priority to economics in Russia is it likely that Kazakhstan's economic relationship with Russia is going to improve as much as uh, the potential for it uh, exists. Thank you. Um, and Nargis, yes. do, you see, do you see Kazakhstan distancing itself a little bit from Russia as, as an outcome of this? I don't know what would be the right verb to describe what's going on, but I think there is some partial decoupling from Russia. And we see it with the top elites, for example. And, you know, it was common for Russian and Kazakh elites to serve on each other's, you know, kind of boards in big companies. And we see this changing and it's part, partly due to the change of the kind of the political transformation in Kazakhstan. So Kulibayev is no longer, you know, on the board of Gazprom and, you know, kind of the um, uh, now I'm forgetting the name of the uh, Russian guy who was on the uh, on the head of like the, on the board of Alpha Bank, for example. And now that we know that Russian banks are closing in Kazakhstan. So I, I think there is a little bit of decoupling at the level of the kind of of the elites, which which is very important because that's the political economy of the country. Right. So, but the, the kind of strong ties will be there, you know, and the, re, but rebalance. Okay. I fully agree that, that multi-vector foreign game, kind of the, uh, well, multi-vector foreign policy, the, uh, diversification, that has been the, the name of the game for three decades, right? But now, uh, there is this kind of big push for, for doing more. And there, the, you, you hear about these new opportunities. Officials, Kazakh officials talk about it. Kazakh businessmen talk about it. Business people talk about it. These new opportunities are opening up to, uh, to do something new, to maybe catch on, you know, kind of the, on these opportunities that are opening because they're closing, uh, closing in Russia. And Atakayev keeps talking now about uh, kind of Kazakhstan becoming a buffer market, uh, whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, the buffer market that would allow for kind of developing 
uh, new north-south-east-west uh, trade economic uh, economic corridors. Uh, I would I, I would love to learn uh, to to understand better, you know, what uh, what he means by this uh, buffer market. But he talked about it in Saint Petersburg. He talked about it again online at this uh, BRICS Plus uh, meeting um, organized by by China. So, uh, but the uh, kind of so far, so far the situation is okay. So far, it seems Kazakhstan has been managing. But uh, indeed, as Ambassador, Ambassador Courtney mentioned, uh, there is a fear of secondary sanctions. Uh, it's uh, kind of it's not ensured that we'll be able to kind of to manage this situation well. And uh, so, so basically, yes, there is there is uncertainty. So there is good amount of enthusiasm and a good amount of fear uh, in the country. Okay, good. And on, on your note too about the this buffer zone, I, I don't know so much about that. I agree, it's kind of vague, uh, but it's worth mentioning, of course, that that uh, President Takayev was in Iran recently, and he was oh, there yes. as the first train from Kazakhstan was going through uh, carrying sulfur, I believe, uh, on its way to Europe through Iran and Turkey. So there, there already are establishing one route. And Azamat, also, I want to get your your uh, yeah, of, yes, of course. Um, I think that there are a couple of things happening at the same time. On the one hand, uh, for sure, among the population, right, there is a growing anti-Kremlin, anti-Russian sentiment just because of the crimes Russia is committing in Ukraine, right? So that's undeniable. It's happening. At the same time, the 7,000-kilometer border, right, the, the demographic uh, facts on the ground, those things cannot be changed. And... Um, you can see maybe maybe one helpful thing to look at in the future is what happens with this proposed uh, new nuclear power station uh, on the Balhash Lake that Russia has been very heavily pushing on Kazakhstan, right? So far, Tokayev has uh, spoken in support of that, uh, despite uh, significant opposition in Kazakhstan among uh, experts and a lot of people to this new Russian nuclear power station because people are fearful that allowing Russia to go ahead with the construction of this power station will again create a lot of dependency, new dependency on Russia in Kazakhstan. But perhaps the decision about this power station will be an indicator, right? Just yet another indicator uh, that will allow us to see whether Kazakhstan really is able to distance itself from Russia. Because uh, I, I, I mean, I am somewhat pessimistic about Kazakhstan being able to really f- distance itself from Russia uh, as much as I personally would like to see, for example. And also, you know, so if you think about the alternatives, right? So China is committing horrible crimes, right? Chinese government against ethnic Kazakhs in Xinjiang. And, you know, obviously those things are not talked about widely in Kazakhstan because I think if this was something that people began to discuss at length on television, it would create a lot of unrest, right? And so, but that's there and the government knows about it. And that certainly puts a damper on, you know, the cooperation with China. And yeah, uh, Turkey perhaps is looking like a more attractive option. But as Ambassador Courtney said, they are having a lot of their own trouble right now. But yeah, you have on the one hand growing anti-Russian sentiment, but also evidence of continued dependence on Russia and Russia's strong influence on Kazakhstan, as we see in the construction of this nuclear power station, the proposed construction. 
Let me ask you this question, and it's also for everyone, but I'll start with you, Azamat. How important is dealing with Russia to President Takayev right now? I mean, remembering that, of course, after the January unrest and, and his order to use lethal force to restore order, he was pretty unpopular. Uh, and now and he, he still hasn't resolved this crisis from January, his internal crisis, and yet at the, he has this other foreign dilemma with Russia. I mean, how important is, is it for him to, for instance, to have the stance that the public stance that he has, where he seem, he, he's seen to resist kowtowing to Moscow over everything they want? Oh, I think it is. I think it is extremely important, right? Because the perception after the January events among many observers locally was that Tokayev was doing Putin's bidding, right? That this was Yet another example of Russia having its way in Kazakhstan. And, um, of course, Tsukaya sort of denied this, and the Kazakh government denied this and said, no, this was CSTO. And I think uh, they actually had this triumph when the Russian uh, or CSTO forces, rather, left, right, within a few days of arriving. Right, because a lot of people, I was actually in Almaty at the time, a lot of people were very nervous that the foreign soldiers were uh, going to linger. And the fact that they all picked up and left, I think, was a sort of triumph for Tokayev, for sure. But, yeah, for him now to be able to sit next to Putin on the stage and say that we uh, do not recognize Lugansk and Donetsk People's Republics, is essential. I mean, it's the right thing to do, like uh, Professor Kassanova said, you know, he is, sort of, I think, on the right side of history here. Kazakhstan is on the right side of history, but also domestically, in terms of domestic politics, if, if you know, if, if any Kazakh leader sits there and says, yeah, we recognize these territories, what does this mean for northern Kazakhstan, right? So it's, I mean, he is walking a tightrope incredibly delicate situation in my opinion and i think uh, like professor kasanova said at the beginning i think he's doing a good job in a very difficult situation uh-huh. thank you uh, ambassador courtney uh, your opinion is how much is how much the domestic problems to faces influence his stand, public stance toward russia well the comments that he made at speech in st petersburg probably helped him at home overcome some of the unpopularity of his decision to call in the uh, Russian forces, CSTO forces, uh, in January. Uh, so in this case, I think President Takayev has uh, benefited uh, from those St. Petersburg comments. But there will still be a lot of suspicion, uh, especially if there's no independent investigation of the January protests and the shootings by uh, security forces and others. Uh, ordinary Kazakhstanis, I think, are pretty upset about how that turned out. In some ways, that's worse than what Lukashenko uh, did in 2020 uh, in uh, Belarus and Minsk. Uh, so President Takayev may be in a slightly better situation now, uh, but uh, Kazakhstanis are expecting more. They're expecting a transition out of the Nazarbayev dictatorship uh, into something in which the political process is, is more open. And so far, uh, I think most Kazakhstanis, and certainly in the West, 
we see this as more of a, an elite reshuffling rather than a more open process. President Zakayev talks about uh, reforms, if you will, and, and uh, things that he wants to do to open the political system. But when we look on the ground at how political opposition leaders uh, are being treated and the refusal of the government to accept inter- independent investigation of the January events, um, it doesn't look like there's really much of a political opening. So I think the fundamental political instability in Kazakhstan, if you will, remains as a result of those tensions. And the foreign affairs will not have too much impact uh, on that, uh, despite the uh, partial relief that President Takayev may have received because of his uh, strong comments in St. Petersburg. Uh, yes. Argy, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, yes. Well, I... An inben- uh, well, an independent investigation uh, is very important for kind of building trust between the state and society, you know, in Kazakhstan, that's, that's, uh, that's for sure. But at the same time, we, we don't know what's the level of feasibility, political feasibility of such an investigation is at this moment. And, you know, the, uh, the po- political situation in Kazakhstan is still quite delicate. Yeah, uh, the uh, kind of there is this purge going on. You know, Nazarbayev and his people, his associates, are are being squeezed out of the system. But of course, there is some resistance and the possibility of the uh, of a revenge. And uh, he, the guy, didn't come with his own team to you know kind of so that's something he needs to build up. Uh, he didn't have like proper legitimacy. He was uh, he was a successor, an appointed successor in the uh, 2019 presidential elections were quite controversial. Uh, that's why he needed this referendum. It seems to create some kind of uh, popular legitimacy. So it's a very very com- com- complex situation, uh, and uh, I don't see him as a big Democrat, but I think he does want. He genuinely wants to kind of create a better governed place uh, and to have more kind of to build up the uh, the foundations for sovereignty, kind of these domestic foundations for sovereignty. Uh, and one phrase in his March address stood out for me. He said, nobody, nobody in this uncertain world, nobody really cares about us, you know, but us, we need to take care of uh, ourselves. And I think his sort of vision is that, you know, we need to, Kind of to build more cohesion on the basis of more social social justice, on the basis of kind of uh, yeah more 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 equally distributed uh, uh, economic economic benefits, uh, economic well being. Um, so so and also the kind of strengthen the uh, the Kazakh identity, and we see a lot of effort in this in this regard. Kind of now there is a big project to rewrite uh, rewrite uh, the history textbooks create multimedia and so on and so forth so so kind of building up uh, this Kazakh identity strengthening it is a is part of the uh, is part of the agenda so i think kind of it's important to understand what what is uh, kind of possible at this point uh, uh, at this point of uh, you know our history and I don't know, I don't think any any of us has kind of the correct answer and like very, very like super clear um, understanding. If yeah, Bruce, if I may add a few things. Um, yeah, it, it seems that in Kazakhstan today, there is a lot of enthusiasm, right, for new Kazakhstan that Takayev talked about, 
Uh, at the same time, one has to ask, well, is it possible to build new Kazakhstan on the foundation of half-truths, right? Or perhaps outright lies about the events in January, right? As Professor Kasenova just pointed out, there is definitely a squeeze on uh, Nazarbayev's sort of relatives and inner circle. They're being pushed out of their positions of power. However, it seems there is a constraint, right? There really has not been a, an honest reckoning on part of the Kazakh government with who was behind the events in January. Names were not really named. So uh, a lot of the actions now taken against uh, Nazarbayev's relatives and inner circle are they're just basically business decisions, right? They're not in any way tied to what happened in January. And it appears that Tokayev's ability or Kazakhstan's ability, Kazakh government's ability to build this new Kazakhstan, right, is constrained by what appears to be an agreement to not say certain things, not state certain facts about what happened in January. And as a result, they are trying to do this with sort of this new Kazakhstan undertaking with, you know, perhaps one hand behind their back, right? It's just they are not, by not being able to openly and explicitly talk about fundamental political reform that's required, judicial reform that's required, law enforcement reform that's required, it constrains their ability to, to bring about meaningful reform. And there's a huge danger to Kazakhstan in that, right? Because these half reforms, hopefully they will succeed, but who knows? But they can't, it seems that they are based on whatever agreements have been reached. They cannot seem to say explicitly what actually happened in January, but without those truths, they're hostage to the current sort of situation. Good point. Thank you for saying that, Um, You know, we could, this could be, a discussion easily, uh, but uh, we do have to wrap it up. But I will I offer everyone a chance to make any last comments they want to make about something first. Um, so please, uh, if you want to, Nargis, it sounds like you want to say something. Uh, <laughs> well, indeed, it looks like the situation is very, very com- complex, and uh, uh, and it looks like you know Kazakhstan is trying to rebuild the house, you know, while the neighborhood is on fire, but maybe that's the only situation when you can really <laughs> undertake uh, this big of a, uh, this big of a project. But uh, but we'll see. I, you know, I, I do hope that we'll emerge from it better, better and stronger. Ambassador Courtney, any last comments? So 30 years ago, when the Soviet Union collapsed, there were a lot of predictions by various experts around the world that the countries, the new republics, uh, would not maintain their independence. Uh, uh, a Turkestan might be created that would include all the Central Asian countries, that uh, some or all of them might end up being absorbed by Russia because they would not be able to maintain their independence. Well, Kazakhstan especially has shown how a country that suffered under the Soviet Union, suffered grievously under the Soviet Union, including the a famine in the uh, 1930-31 period, uh, has been able to become not only a country that maintains its independence and sovereignty, but to become a real international leader in nonproliferation, energy cooperation, other areas. 
The Kazakhstan has been, a, in many ways, a remarkable success over the last 30 years. But it, as now it is at a cusp where its people expect more, and its people expect a, a more responsive uh, and more honest government than it has had. And so uh, Kazakhstan really has to make some fundamental decisions about how to go forward in ways that maintain and draw on good relations with neighbors, but also enable it to build a stronger society with greater political and social legitimacy. Thank you. Okay, and Azamat? Uh, yes, uh, I think despite this being a very scary time, a very uh, dangerous time for Kazakhstan, it is also a hopeful time that there is a possibility of renewal, political renewal, and for one, I personally am optimistic about new Kazakhstan. Of course, the barriers are immense, dangers are very real, but it's a hopeful time. Excellent. That is a good comment to leave on. Leave on. Um, so a huge thanks to my guests today, Azamat Tunis Nargiz Kaseneva, and Ambassador William Courtney. And thank you to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjlis podcast producer in Washington, D.C. I'm Bruce Kinnear, host of the Medjlis podcast and author of the weekly Central Asia in Focus newsletter. You can subscribe to one or both by visiting Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week.